broadcasting around the entire world. From New York City. Via Simplecast. And supported by listeners like you. Bitcoin billions seller trading mining markets by sharing forks millions fights wise. Keeping you up to date on everything crypto. Welcome to Thriller Blockchain Week. Now here is your host, Carl Gonzalez. Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls from around the world. Today is May 15th, 2019. Thank you so much for listening to Thriller Crypto. I really appreciate it. Today we're going to cover day two and day three of Consensus. That's right. Decided to squish this into one episode just because I noticed on day two and day three there really wasn't a lot there and a lot of that stuff we covered on Thriller News was a bulk of that. And then we also did a Thriller Coin Talk and a dozen of other episodes that we did over the past five days. So go out and check all those out if you haven't caught up yet. But I'm going to give you the most important things that you need to know that happened at Consensus on day two and day three. And that's starting now. So first up, we have Joe Lubin, Jimmy Song, strike 500,000 crypto bet on Ethereum's future. So if you haven't known, you don't know who these people are. Joe Lubin, he's the uh, CEO of Consensus. Um, very uh, intellectual guy, um, creates a lot of amazing different uh, projects in the space, and he really has a great way that he carries himself that I've always seen, uh, seeing him in person, and then not only that, like seeing him on on YouTube and everything like that too, speakings. Uh, then we also have Jimmy Song, and as you, you don't know, Jimmy Song's, you know, hardcore Bitcoin uh, extremist, and uh, he also was a Bitcore developer in his past life. But uh, these days, he uh, he likes to push buttons, and he's great at doing just that. And check out a video of them two talking about a bet that uh, will kind of just depend on whether Ethereum actually amounts to anything here in the next five years. And that's according to Jimmy Song. Check this out. Uh, I believe I said I would bet him anything. Um, and... Uh Jimmy's thesis was that there would be no significant applications on blockchain uh, and that uh, the only thing relevant in blockchain was Bitcoin and sort of leaning towards Bitcoin 1.0. I'm not sure what your position is these days on evolution on top of uh, Bitcoin, but uh, my thesis was that uh, uh, Bitcoin is awesome. Uh, There's a single or a narrow set of use cases uh, built on Bitcoin, and that's wonderful. We love that. Um, But uh, uh, decentralized application platforms are also really useful. Uh, We have this opportunity to move the world from subjective trust systems to objective automated trust systems and uh, whether there's some decentralization on a consortium platform or maximal decentralization on a platform like Ethereum, it, it'll be really valuable to build applications on that sort of platform going forward. Jimmy felt that 
that was irrelevant. Uh, should never happen. Maybe the surface area is, I is I too high. Or... I, I could speak for myself. Uh, go for it. So, uh, what I said was, in five years, I didn't think there would be any significant applications that are sort of decentralized, centralized apps. I, I don't know. You, you, you kind of. I, I think you have the view that uh, decentralization is some sort of spectrum, but I, I don't view it that way. You either have self-sovereignty over your assets or you don't. And if you have a centralized entity, then you don't have self-sovereignty over your assets. Um, and all of the stuff that I've analyzed, um, and this is what I, the point I brought up last year, is that the stuff from five years before then, before 2018, 2013, stuff like MasterCoin, MadeSafe, uh, Factum, none of them had done anything. So my, my thesis was that in five years, you wouldn't have anything then either. And I wrote an article last week about how, why, I, uh, why blockchain isn't the answer for anything. And I, I, I made the case pretty clear. Even if, if by some miracle you have some popular dApp, you are going to be able to build it much cheaper, faster, more scalable and more maintainable and more upgradable on a centralized platform and be able to crush that dApp. Uh, the only reason dApps exist is really to raise money from gullible people or from greedy uh, FOMO people, and that's that's essentially what the Ethereum platform has uh, ha has done, really. And so, uh, honestly, a lot of your companies have done. So, so here's here is my goal for this conversation: sure. if we can get to the point mm -hmm. where we have a clear bet that you both agree on, mm -hmm. that we can tweet out from CoinDesk and say, like, here it is, yeah. we've got it. They have both said so, that this is the thing. We've been, that we've would be a great moment. On that for quite a while. Okay. Uh, we, well, no, 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 no. no. I, I want to set the record straight. Every, okay. I, I've been, I've been tweeting. You said at the very end of that thing, let's hash this out on Twitter. So for the first two months, I was tweeting at you like almost every week, saying, "Hey, Joe, what do you think about this? Whatever." Or here's what I think. Never got back to me, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and then we started emailing. I would, I would ping him, and here, here's how it would go. I would ping him on email, and then. Um, about six weeks later, some, one of, his, one of uh, not, not even Joe, but somebody other than Joe uh, from Consensus would email me back, well, okay, maybe here's something that we can do. I'd email back in 20 minutes, wouldn't hear from them for six weeks. We eventually went on Laura Shin's show. We both, me and Laura, both thought that we were going to finalize the bet then. Joe, at the end, weaseled out of it saying, hey, um, I need to get back to my people and we need to figure out if these are the right terms. He's been doing this for the entire year. I just want to make that clear. It's not because we're like, uh, we have to get the details right. It's because Joe hasn't been, been getting back to me anytime. I, I've been willing to settle the terms of the bet for a whole year. And my, my thesis at this point is Joe just doesn't want to bet, right? Like he, if, if, he want, if he wanted something to happen, it would have happened a month later. And in fact, many people told me uh, outside of this room, right? Like uh, just, just uh, you know, like talking to them about like Joe's body language and all that stuff. We're like, you know what? He's never gonna bet you. Anyone that says stuff like that and it has that kind of bravado is usually putting it on falsely. And I'm sad to say, I, I, I told them, you're probably wrong. I think Joe's going to bet. It's been a year. It hasn't happened. I don't think he's going to bet. Even still, sure. I, I, I'm going. I'm going to guess you're gonna have to. You're gonna figure out a way to weasel out of it today too. So I will agree with you that the priority um, of getting this bet done has been much lower for me than it has been for you. Um, but we do have a, a detailed document that we've been working on. We tried, to, have, we tried to bring in Henry Arslanian from PwC to oversee things. Mm -hmm. uh, 
for reasons that I deemed perfectly acceptable. You weren't comfortable with that, so we had no, a no, meeting. No, no, no. It wasn't I who was uncomfortable with that. You wanted PWC to be the referee. I was fine with that. The problem was they didn't wanted. Uh, they wanted me to donate my proceeds to charity, which I do not want to do. I want it to hurt for you. I don't want you to feel like you're donating to charity. I want you. I want it to hurt when you lose the bet. I want you to pay me. And that's uh, that's so something that's, that's that they fine. weren't willing to do. I'm comfortable with that. And uh, and and so, you know, so I, I propose. We have we have another mediator proposed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, so I mean, we'll, and I'm we'll comfortable see. with. Uh, yeah. Uh, can we share his name or not yet? I mean, I, we haven't asked him, so okay. we, we, we shouldn't share, share his Sounds name. Sounds good. But so we, we have a time frame established okay. for the bet. We have the amount of Ether versus Bitcoin established. Okay. This is all in a document that, okay. that we've been in together. Um, we I have mean, really, MA, he MAU. just wrote it once, and I, I commented he hasn't gotten back to me since then. That was six weeks ago. Right, we had a phone doing, call we, with we all of these now. people. We're doing it now. Yeah, I, 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 and like... I don't know. My comments haven't been commented on or whether or not the changes are acceptable or anything. Nobody said anything. And this was six weeks ago. Three weeks before that, we had that phone call. At the end of the phone call, Joe goes, seven days from now, I want to make progress on this bet. Nobody contacted me for three weeks. So, yeah. So, so, I, mean, so I, to I, say I believe that, Tom has been talking with you. And no, he's he didn't. He's he did. found the discussions difficult. Well, so hold on, guys. Says. Hold on, guys. We're, we're, Which is hard to believe. We're live yeah, it's, on, it's we're live on video, so we're having a conversation that people don't yeah. have the, the context for. So what is the bet that's under conversation right now? Like, what are the terms that have been proposed? So we have, uh, the idea is that it's uh, five applications on okay. Ethereum um, that have very significant usage and we need to define uh, crisply what very significant usage means. Right. Um, so it's a certain number of daily active users, monthly active users, and there, there are a lot of subtleties in how you uh -huh. define that. Um, and it's, um, what is it, six months over a, a span of 12 months? Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've defined the duration. So five years durations from now, over and, a 12-month period. Yeah, and okay. there have to be five different applications that have yeah. 10,000 daily active users, okay. 100,000 monthly active users. Okay. And those numbers were chosen because that's sort of the minimum for a decently successful app on Android or right. iOS. Makes sense. Um, and, you know, Joe's saying stuff like, it, well, decentralized apps are going to disrupt Facebook. Facebook uh -huh. Facebook has a billion daily active users. Yeah. So this is a very minimal bar. Yeah. Uh, he's saying very significant, but it's not. It's it's like the absolute minimum that you would need in order to say with any kind of, uh, you know, But you're like comfortable with this. Five yeah. years from yeah. now, yeah, so you, we, you hit that average for things we've agreed on. Okay, um, cool. So Great. One, one thing that we're still zeroing in on, okay. um, and we're pretty close, I think, is um, so Jimmy doesn't want uh, a, to use your example, a cheap sticker store uh, that takes Ether mm -hmm. um, to be included in that sort of thing, just a, a, a pure payment in uh -huh. usage um, for something that was never Ethereum uh, from the start. Okay. Um, the way to architect an Ethereum application properly is to use the base trust layer, layer one, mm -hmm. uh, usually one good architecture, and then to, for a game or for an exchange or something like that, use a layer two technology like Plasma, where you you link in that layer te two technology into the base trust layer, so that you mm -hmm. get either all of the trust or most of the trust applied to that that second layer, and so. 
Um, there are some criteria on those layer two solutions so there's a, there's that, that a, Jimmy wants to apply. So yeah, I mean, Jimmy, this is this makes it tough. Like, it's hard to define away chunks of the yeah, use I, cases. Yeah, we 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 did we uh, so we've been talking about it. Okay. And uh, and the things that we came up with on that phone call, I think it was like uh, two months ago. Okay. Were okay. Well, you know, it, it needs to cost something, right? To to okay. to uh, do the transaction. It can't be like completely free. Kind of like we want to prevent like the. Um, Daily active user equivalent of wash trading on an exchange uh -huh, or something uh -huh. like that. So, um, and you know, we, we agreed that a daily active user is a single Ethereum address. Uh -huh. So, I mean, okay. Ethereum kind of makes that so easy because it's, it's a thing you have to is sign it in fair on to say that you were most worried that I would game the system, that yeah. I would try to mm -hmm. create fake situations and. Yeah, I mean, given that you have a lot of portfolio right. compa companies right. and, and, and so on. And so, what we've been trying to do is figure out ways of defining how much a transaction costs so that it'd be uh -huh. too expensive for me to cheat and so that's where right, right. Some, some of the, so just to be the clear, work has gone into. And, and it doesn't count as a daily active user unless you using this thing costs some level of ETH. There needs to be at least some gas spent or you need to be like buying Yeah, something. I mean, that's what a user on, a, on an okay. Android phone is. I mean, like you... Well, you, it doesn't cost so anything to use an app on Android. Yeah. That's why I'm asking. Like, it doesn't... I can go and use Facebook or Instagram. It doesn't cost me anything, you know? So I guess... Yeah. Well, I mean, it, 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 it does in a way because you're looking at their well, ads, right? It does in right? a way. Like, sure. like, so it, it's, same for it's, Ethereum. It's something. But, yeah. but there are ways of using the Ethereum platform so that I could interact with an application. I could log into that application with my decentralized identity. I could uh, uh, get significant benefit from that application where I'm not actually doing a monetary transaction. In fact, that's a that's a lot of friction if you're requiring a daily active user to be Well, I mean, a view only is fine. Uh, a view only doesn't really count, yeah. right? Because if you're if you're just looking at it, it's kind of like well, looking at your portfolio. That's what I do on Facebook. But, yeah. Well, well, I, mean, I, I don't do that on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, year, do, right. Years ago, I've done that. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, we, but we, we so we're still we're still working on that aspect of the well, I mean, I mean, yeah, if you follow Jimmy Song on Twitter, then you kind of know like, how he feels about this bet. Like, he really, I don't know, it's, it's weird. It's weird. Uh, I think Jimmy Song is one of the most entertaining speakers that's out there right now. Uh, I put him right above, you know, Max Kaiser in regards to just like pure entertainment to see him at a conference and talk because uh, he is. Like, I saw him at South by. And everybody in the crowd was just laughing because he was attacking the IBM <laughs> businessmen and the businessmen were just taking it. And, and here he goes again, attacking Joe Lubin and Joe Lubin's such a nice guy. Like, it's poor Joe. It's like, geez. Um, so but that's Jimmy. I mean, that's just who he is. Right. Um, it's kind of interesting that uh, out of all the people in the space, Roger Veer is the only one that gets under Jimmy's skin, which is kind of interesting. You, you would think like. Jimmy would uh, come over the top on Roger on a lot of things. But if you look at their interactions together, he, Jimmy just doesn't have the patience for Roger Veer. It's probably because Roger's such a, a great a debater. Right. Um, and I think that's probably his match. Uh, anyways, uh, regardless of that, I, if, you, if we all know, like Web3 is coming regardless or not. We don't need Jimmy Song, <laughs> who's highly invested into Bitcoin, to tell us that it's not coming. We can just we can simply look at the person who invented the Internet and he can tell us. Because he has. Tim Berners-Lee knows and has said on the record that Web3 is coming. Uh, we don't need <laughs> we don't need Jimmy Song not to believe Web3 is coming because it is. And uh, I think I think in the future, of course, it's going to take time. Like it, it obviously is. It, it, decentralized Web uh, is not going to happen overnight. It's going to take some time. 
but that is going to come. It's just going to take a really long time, maybe not in five years, but uh, the, with the mass uh, surveillance uh, of Facebook and all these other you know apps that are just as centralized as hell, there is a need for decentralization on a massive scale. And uh, Web3 is going to happen. Uh, take a listen to our old podcast that we do on them. It, 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 uh, it's all there. It explains it, tells you. Yeah. So anyways, that was one of the biggest things that came out of consensus on, on day two. Uh, on, on day three was, and that's right, Coinbase. So Coinbase custody now has one billion of crypto under its management. And that's according to Brian Armstrong. He said the exchange's custody service Coinbase Custody has $1 billion in assets under management in just 12 months after its launch. He went on stage and says, we launched our custody 12 months ago, and we've just crossed $1 billion. And 70 institutions have signed up, adding about $150 million a month. So to a large degree, that has been a success. He added that the institutions are not merely investing in their funds, and they sit idle while in custody or either. He said they want to be staking and voting, doing governance on chain. I think that will grow rapidly. He also noted that Bitcoin is still the main asset of interest for institutions, but the interest for other cryptocurrencies is growing too. So Coinbase Custody currently offers uh, services for 30 coins for institutions, including staking as a service for some. And both panelists Armstrong and Union Square Ventures partner Fred Wilson noted that institutions involved are not necessarily the big traditional players most are familiar with, such as BlackRock. Wilson said that the token funds and the venture funds will make up the first two big institutional funds for them, traditional institutions to take their chips and go all in. I don't see that in the next year or two, he added. He said, when people read in the Wall Street Journal that institutions are coming to crypto, they think Goldman is coming. But in reality, maybe 100 token funds in the US and 100 in Asia are all in so far. That's interesting to know. Armstrong also said that he envisions, I would love to be in a world where people could self-custody and still participate in exchanges. We're taking two people at Starkware about that. Pretty cool. Yeah, Coinbase has done a lot for this space, man. I'm really excited to see what they're going to kind of roll out here uh, this year once this kind of market kind of just runs, right? Runs its course. It's going to be interesting to see what other tokens they add. And one of the tokens that they're looking at, (laughs) at least, you know, we'll see, is Cardano, right? And Cardano actually made the news somewhat at consensus. That's right. Charles Hoskinson was at consensus and he was there to announce something with polymath i know go figure it was crazy news and we're gonna jump into it right now So our next big piece of news out of consensus was Polymath and Charles Hoskinson teaming up on a security token blockchain. That's right. It's dubbed Polymesh, and the new platform will be designed specifically for companies that want to create regulation-compliant security tokens. Polymath co-founder Trevor announced Monday at Coindesk's Consensus 2019 that its theory is a purpose-built blockchain with help spur adoption of security tokens by streamlining the process for companies looking to launch tokenized assets. Yeah, take a listen. 
Uh, right now we have Trevor Coverco from Polymath and Charles Hoskinson of Cardano. Charles, you came here from all the way from Mongolia to join us, yes, is that sir. right? Did you come from Mongolia at all? I came from an, an even more remote place called Canada. Canada, yeah. oh sure, yeah. <laughs> so that's, it's very similar to Mongolia, and, but, but you, have, uh, you have Tim Hortons. We which do. Is, which is beneficial. Quick yeah. trivia question, what's the capital of Canada? I ask all my American friends this. Isn't it Toronto? No, it's Ottawa. Ottawa. That's what I said. That was what I was about to say. <laughs> well, you're Canadian too, aren't you? Oh God, no. <laughs> Not yet. I was born in Hawaii. <laughs> Hawaii. Oh, okay. That's that's why you're so laid back. Uh, all right. So we hang got loose, guys. Yeah, hang loose. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Um, we have questions. If you guys want to ask some questions, you can ask them in the YouTube uh, YouTube chat, uh, or you can tweet us at hashtag CoinDesk Live. So we're going to ask the questions. These 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 are folks that you need to ask questions of. Um, okay, I want to talk about what you guys worked on, what you guys announced today. You, you announced a, uh, you announced a, a um, securities token blockchain, essentially, right? Yeah. So why don't you tell me about yeah, that? Yeah, no, we, we're big believers in the, the thesis that security tokens are coming. The stampede is, is coming. Uh, we've seen a ton of growth already this year. And the question is, where are all these tokens going to live? And what protocol are they going to live on? We think that question is still undecided. And that's why we launched PolyMesh, the, the world's... I want to say first, but one of uh, the first kind of purpose-built layer one blockchains just for security tokens. What does that mean? Why do we need a layer one uh, blockchain for that? Well, right now about 90% of, secu of security tokens live on Ethereum, and we uh, don't think that Ethereum's the ideal home for security tokens. And we've actually heard a lot of pushback from our own issuers and regulators that we speak to, that it's just not tenable, that kind of the anonymous, distributed nature of Ethereum is just too far in one extreme, and uh, a lot of the top brand name issuers just aren't comfortable launching on it. So the question is, where are they going to go? Yeah, there's a fundamental tension between public blockchains and private blockchains with uh, the security space. So when you look at a public system, you're talking about a homogeneous system. Everybody's equal, everybody has equal access, all the users are the same. Uh, but when you look at a regulated system, there are some people who are different than others. Some people have broker-dealer licenses, some people are banks, some people are MSBs, uh, some people are government actors, some people are auditors. And so when you, you try to build a system in a ledger like Ethereum to accommodate all these different roles, it, it's a bit cumbersome. It's expensive. Uh, in some cases, uh, the privacy works against you. So it makes a lot of sense to take a step back and say, can we build a hybrid system where you still have an open system, people can join it, people can leave, anybody can issue a token, but at the same time, the system recognizes and makes special provisions for these unique roles. It's almost like when we move from dial-up to fiber, you know, dial-up kind of piggybacked on existing phone lines. Then people said, well, wait a minute, we probably should build a custom purpose network, a special purpose network for data, so they move to the fiber, right? And it's the same with CPUs to GPUs, or from, uh, from CPU mining to ASIC mining. And this is kind of a natural evolution, where we're now building a, a special purpose blockchain specifically for security tokens. And there's nothing wrong with, just to add to that, there's nothing wrong with Ethereum. Um, we launched on Ethereum originally. It, it's the most convenient place to launch. Just like, as Charles said, phone lines was the most convenient place for the internet to launch. But as the, the industry matures and they demand more functionality and performance, eventually they want something purpose-built, and that's what we're proposing for the security token space. I mean, that's actually pretty fascinating. If you think about what the, the history is of, say, phone line-based internet, it was dial up, dial up, dial up, dial up, and then all of a sudden it changed into slightly faster, slightly faster, and slightly faster, and now we have fiber. Uh, is it going to take as long uh, for us to be, have a generally accepted uh, attitude towards these security token blockchains? Um, I guess you could say in like blockchain time, which is wildly compressed as well. How, how, much, how much longer will it be yeah, until I'm buying my... Uh, 
until I'm buying my Apple shares in, uh, right. on that blockchain. One of the barriers here is regulatory. And this is actually another reason why a, a special purpose blockchain makes sense, is that uh, we move at the speed of regulation. And certain things that you'd love to do, like cross-border settlement, for example, are still exceedingly different, uh, difficult. In fact, we just had a, uh, a panel with someone who worked at New York Stock Exchange, who was a high-level person. Uh, and when they merged, was it with Euronext, I believe? They actually tried to allow shares to trade in both jurisdictions. Now, this is a situation where you have a multi-billion dollar exchange, has incredible relationship with regulators, and it's still difficult to have cross-border settlement. So that means that there's kind of a gap between what the tech can do and what people want to do and the regulatory reality that we live in. So it may actually take greater than five years or 10 years to see this revolution go through. But on the other hand, there's a tremendous desire for STOs. You know, you have tons of illiquid assets all around the world, trillions and trillions of dollars of real estate, small businesses and jurisdictions like Mongolia or Ethiopia that are incredibly investable because they're led by great entrepreneurs. The economies are growing at 10% per year. They have wonderful fundamentals from cash flow to business relationships, hundreds of millions of customers, but they haven't been able to get access to the global financial markets because of regulatory barriers as well as just bad infrastructure in those jurisdictions. So in the pursuit of securitizing these trillions of dollars, it's creating a definite strong demand to change the regulations, change the underlying infrastructure, and it gives us a great opportunity to build something that can be part of that conversation, a connecting tissue that can be part of that conversation. Tell me about this trip to Mongolia. What, what, what were we up to there? Well, there, that was for IOHK Business, my company. And uh, there we met with the president of Mongolia, the U.S. ambassador to Mongolia, a lot of the ministers, including the Minister of Foreign Affairs. Uh, and we signed an MOU to do an air quality pilot uh, where we would actually deploy sensors all throughout the capital, Ulaanbaatar, and put it into uh, basically a, a blockchain so that we could get a better understanding of, of where air quality is bad, when air quality is bad, and allow them to do targeted enforcement. Ulaanbaatar actually has the worst air in the world during the wintertime. Uh, hundreds of thousands of gares come into the city center. They burn coal, they burn tires, shoes, whatever they can get their hands on to stay warm because they can get down to negative 50. Yeah. And it's in a valley and the air stagnates. And so it's extremely bad. It causes all kinds of respiratory problems. In fact, Mongolia is the world leader for people on antibiotics. At any given time, 66 people out of 1,000 are on antibiotics. The second nearest is Iran in the 30s. Mm -hmm. So uh, certainly got a lot of problems. And what we're trying to do is take blockchain solutions and, and solve real life problems. And that's just one of many. He also uh, stayed in New York, as far as I yeah, know. Yeah, I stayed in Andy, New York. Andy was on a, uh, he was on a camel as well. Yeah, in the Gobi, yeah. How do we expand out? How do we, uh, as, a, as startups, as businesses, how do we start thinking outside the box, outside of serving folks down on Wall Street? Well, may, can I take that as how, how we can maybe seed this, this new chain? Because that's what I always think about. I see a lot of graveyards like great tech but nobody's using it and that's something we're still trying to catch up with is adoption and I think one of the advantages we have at PolyMath which is our layer two on Ethereum is that we went distribution first we've had over 120 security tokens launch on our platform and now we can kind of quickly seed the new chain with those security tokens and then future ones that we make until then the second ring after that of growth will come from other security tokens that live on Ethereum or other chains currently and making a compelling case for them to upgrade to a purpose-built chain. Kind of like how EOS um, got a lot of uh, you know, decentralized gaming uh, companies to, to switch over to EOS because of the throughput capacity. But to be, to, to be honest, my most exciting um, channel of growth I'm looking at is future non-existent security tokens. That's the stampede that's not here yet. And we're building this, this, layer, this layer one blockchain for them. Yeah, I mean, so I always say that the uh, the future of 
basically early funding, and especially somebody in Mongolia, someone in a in a place that doesn't have access to VC, is going to be something like that, which sounds like uh, which sounds like we're here. Okay, somebody wants to know what your thoughts on Zcash are. Well, Zcash is good technology. I mean, it, it originally started with zero point, and then the Zcash paper is written. Matt Green and Zuko are just wonderful cryptographers, and they've been around for a very long time. Zuko, I, I like a lot. Uh, he's actually went to my alma mater, you know, though he was a little bit ahead of me. He went in the 90s, uh, CU Boulder. And uh, they have a great roadmap and a good team. You know, the, the whole notion of privacy in these systems is not only... Uh, a, a good conversation to have. It's a necessary conversation to have. The problem with blockchains is they remember everything. And so if you create a financial system where everything's remembered, you might not want 20 years or 30 years in the future people to go back to what you bought in your 20s and uh, use that against you for political purposes. So I think they we have... find a five-pound gummy bear. Yeah, that five-pound gummy, five gummy bear. We gave him one yesterday. After, uh, after our announcement on stage, Charles was kind enough to give us a five-pound gummy bear from Colorado, and there's no marijuana or CBD in it. I was a little disappointed. It's, it's, the density of this thing is incredible. <laughs> yeah, incredible. Yeah, well, if, if, I, can't, I can't imagine eating a five-pound uh, right, uh, right. ed edible-based... Uh, anyway, getting back to the privacy side of things, it's, it's I think, a human right. And, and so you, but you have, to, you have to approach it in a more nuanced way of, is it completely transparent or it's completely private? You need to talk about auditable backdoors. You need to talk about uh, the ability to share and breach the privacy with people that you desire. And uh, Zcash is being part of that conversation. They recently published a great paper in December of 2018 called ZEXE. Uh, and they're working with some great academics and providing a lot of innovation in the space. So I think it's fundamentally a sound project. So two things that I took away from that was, uh, first off, he was at Consensus, which is big because Coindesk, if you listen to the shows that we had him on, Coindesk will never give him the time of day. Like they just do not give his project the time of day. And finally... <laughs> He was able to get on there and uh, actually, you know, show how much knowledge he has in the space. I mean, for God's sakes, he was one of the co-founders for Ethereum. And uh, so it's it's about time. It's about time Coindesk gave him his due because uh, the guy's very knowledgeable when it comes to a lot of this stuff. And second point was uh, polymath. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how this all kind of works out. Uh, we all know that it's very likely this next big bull market is going to be spurred on by these security tokens. Everybody keeps talking about it. Everybody in the know kind of feels like that's going to be the thing that spurs this next big run. Um, so we'll see if this actually kind of gets uh, rolled out here fairly soon. And hopefully they can uh, launch some security tokens and get this next kind of bull market on a, on a, on a pace, you know, for a hundred thousand dollars. That's right, $100,000 Bitcoin. That's what we want, ladies and gentlemen. And if there's anybody who wants it even more than that, it's uh, Max Kaiser. That's right, Max Kaiser made a <laughs> he made a, a special uh, appearance at Consensus, uh, but not in the way you think. Uh, check this out. If you look too closely at the protocol, you flip out. Look at Roger Ver, he went insane. Look at Craig Wright, nuts. Matthew Mellon, dead. You know, these people have Bitcoin derangement syndrome. They've gone insane. It's like Colonel Kurtz up the river. And they have an army of, and a minions of shit coins. Oh, can I say that? You Ooh. can say anything on Block TV. This is not Bloomberg, oh, Block TV? Well, then fuck Craig Wright because he's a fraud. Mr. Kaiser, this has been such a pleasure. I am speechless. We need more liquidity. These markets need more liquidity. That's what they need. Every <laughs> Thank this you. This is garbage. This is garbage. This is and this was Block it's TV at Consensus 2019. Friends don't let friends eat shit coins. I'm going to go get a drink now. 
and we'll be right back. Yeah, it was pretty fucking hilarious. It's pretty hilarious. He started tearing up uh, like a 50, I don't know, it was a 50 or $100 bill just live on TV. Uh, it's pretty funny. It's pretty, and I remember when I saw Max Kaiser uh, at the conference at HoshiCon last year. Man, that guy, he can like, he can talk. Like he can talk and he explained to you why uh, he's so passionate about this stuff. And he's great. He's a great uh, live speaker for sure. Like just amazing. Anyways. Um, that's all we have for consensus day two and day three. And like I said, it wasn't a lot of stuff. A lot of the big stuff that we covered on other shows. Uh, so check those out. These were just kind of the, the ones that happened on day two and three that were kind of permeating around there. And, um, yeah, look for all this stuff to kind of, kind of spur more adoption. I mean, this is, this is a good week for crypto in general. So with that, let's get on to the end of the show.
Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Thriller Crypto. And that's our coverage for Blockchain Week. Uh, we have one more podcast coming up, and that's with a director. Um, and that's going to be covering a movie that he's doing. That's going to look for that to drop later tonight. Um, but we also have our Thriller Crypto subscription. And check that out. Links in the show notes. We're going to be releasing our new episode here called Thriller Insights. And it's only available through that subscription. Bye, Bitcoin. Save the world. See you tomorrow. This is the end of the show. You have been listening to Killer Podcast with Par Gonzalez. Remember, Killer Podcast is not financial advice. Everything Car said likely won't come true. It is up to you. Now go do your own research. Listen to other dudes that start their name with crypto and not Car. And remember, buy Bitcoin and save the world, one Satoshi at a time. <laughs>